Welcome to Business Class Money Minutes, powered by American Express. This is the podcast unpacking big money topics for small business owners, providing you with the tools and insights to solve those common financial headaches and challenges. I'm your host, founder and entrepreneur, Sharmadine Reed. Today, we're going to be discussing global expansion with Will Butler Adams, CEO of Brompton Bikes. Three-time winner of the Queen's Award for Enterprise, Brompton Bikes sells 45,000 custom-made bikes in 44 countries every single year, including China, Germany and the US. So if you're a UK company with international expansion in mind, stay tuned because this is not one to miss. Will, welcome to the show. Thanks for inviting me. So let's get right into it. As a beloved British brand, when did you decide to expand Brompton Bikes internationally and why? I think from the outset, we've always sort of inadvertently had international presence because the bike folds up. People come to London, they work there, they're there for a couple of years, then they take their beloved Brompton Mm. home with them. And then their friends go, hey, that's cool. Where can we get one of those? We can't get one here. So it sort of happened organically But probably in around about 2006, we really took a stronger decision to go for export, actually at the cost to our P&L, because we made less money, less margin by exporting bikes. But we knew that if we wanted to be a big player, we couldn't have a business that was based on 60 million people in the little blue planet when there were, I don't know, eight and a half, nine billion people. That is not making sense. So we took that decision. And since then, we've grown our export to over 75%. That's incredible. And the bike itself is a visual identity for the business and for the brand. So I can totally, totally imagine people packing it in their suitcase, not even needing special luggage and taking it abroad. But what are your biggest international markets right now? So it has been a journey of change. And in the early days, we didn't export much. And we were in Germany, the Netherlands, and then Japan came in. I knew you were going to say Japan. I Japan was, like, was the early Japanese bird, vibe, yeah. the early bird for Asia. Then it rippled through down into South Korea, into Hong Kong, Singapore. But now our biggest markets are China, Germany, US. But then Singapore, Japan's still up there. South Korea's still up there. France, Spain. So it's pretty diverse. It sounds to me that there was a mix of serendipity and then strategy. At what point did you get intentional about it? And what was your strategy for international expansion? So because it happened organically, you already have a sense of where the opportunity is. Mm -hmm. But what you mustn't do is overthink it, overanalyze, start doing tons of data analysis and start trying to get your Japanese bow right before you go out to Japan. If you've got a hunch, just go. Go and see, meet people, go to a trade show that's about bikes or about anything else that you're doing Mm. and learn and see. And you very quickly find out, actually, we thought it had potential, but it doesn't. Or you go there and you go, do you know what? This has got potential. We met some really interesting people. And then it begins and then it starts. And in our case, that started with fantastic distributors. And then recently, over the last five or six years, we've taken back distribution and taken it to another level. So just rewinding a second about how you started to explore markets. So what would you say for anyone who can't necessarily fly around the world and like check out trade shows, etc.? I would say that's complete and utter tosh. Do you go on holiday? (laughs) Do you go to Mexico? 
The idea you can't fly around the world. Mm. Go and stay in a Premier Inn equivalent around the world. Do it on the cheap. We're a hundred million pound business, and I fly standard class. There's none of this business class nonsense. I'm six foot four, <laughs> so you can do things on the cheap. People spend money on some away day for sort of team building. We'll just. Spend that money by buying a cheap flight to Singapore, to Japan,、mm-hmm. and don't even need to go that far. We've got the whole of Europe on our doorstep. Jump on a train. You know, people are going to Spain on holiday, but they can't go to Spain on business. No, no, no. Get out there. Go and see people. There is a trade show in your sector somewhere. Sniff it out. Go out for a weekend. Go out for a few days. Take a couple of staff. Make it a bonding session, and bet you you come back with some learning. Totally spoken like a true leader. So, talk to me how straightforward that process was from a financial perspective. To what extent were you able to apply learnings from one market where you were doing well and take that to the next one? So everything. So that you can sleep at night, for me, has been about not betting the farm. So take risk, go for it, but make sure you're protecting the downside. And in our case, that meant in those early days finding a distributor. We just didn't have the cash to run a territory, to deal with customer service, to deal with a website, to deal with sales teams. So. We found people that we liked, and at the time we had people who were big, trendy, massive distributors. We didn't go near them. We went with the small people who loved Brompton,、mm. who maybe weren't so enormous, but we meant everything to them, and they had big hearts. And those people really, really helped us build confidence, grow the business, and as I said earlier, that then allowed us to buy those distributions off them、yeah. in a sort of positive way,、mm. and then take them in house. But that was over about a fifteen-year period. I love that. So, what you're effectively doing is using people on the ground who are already embedded into that business community to effectively sell the product for you. Yes, and they believed in what we were doing. They、mm. were passionate, and then it was possible to do it without taking too much risk. But the bit is to take the risk, not be afraid of risk, and just measure the downside and move fast. Because we're all going to be dead in a minute. We've got to get a blooming move on, and we've got problems out there, and they need solving. So we can't sit in our little comfort zone. We've got to stride out, but don't just stride off a cliff. Stride off a step, maybe. So, from what I'm hearing, it sounds like international expansion is a lot of intuition and relationship building. And how did you use those relations with your initial distributors to expand to new markets? So, the intuition. And the relationship building and the getting out there and seeing it is great, but as it gets a bit more momentum, then do your research,、mm. then get in touch with the embassy, then go and do seminars, and then really get deep into that market. But don't waste your time doing sort of three years of research to then discover there wasn't a cat in hell's chance anything、mm. was going to go well in that territory. Get going, see which one starts to tickle along quite nicely. Then you start, and we've done some brilliant stuff with a great campaign with embassies around the world, and working with different partners, collaborations. We got involved in the Great Campaign, which is a fantastic initiative run by the government, where effectively they were saying all the embassies around the world need to try and support British export, do events, and let the world know what fantastic services products we create and produce in the UK. And once you become part of that, suddenly. The embassies are opening their doors and trying to find ways to support you and help you do business anywhere in the world. It's really interesting you mentioned embassies because I absolutely never would have thought of them as a person to involve in my expansion process. Talk to me about how you use embassies to expand internationally. So when I first started in Brompton twenty years ago, 
you went along to an embassy and sort of tapped on the door. Hello, uh, we're the guys that make the little folding bike. And they'd sort of go, do you mind? We're involved in politics and, you know, riffraff like you. But that all changed. I mean, about 10, 15 years ago, suddenly the embassies realised one of their roles was support business, to support export, to help with commerce. And of course, they've got all the networks. They've got these amazing buildings for doing events. And so now they are measured on how much export they're bringing into their country from the UK. So you tap on the door and they'll literally open it, give you a hug and say, well, how can I help? But it starts with just getting in there and getting a feel. And then the ones that have got the potential, because you, you understand the market better now, then you pile a bit more investment yeah. in, then you do a bit more research and you really get behind it. That's when you start to invest. Yes. So what has been the biggest cost associated with expansion? <sighs> Crumbs. It's like sort of whack-a-mole you know, thing that something pops up, you have to whack that down, then it pops up and you have to whack this down. So from a cost perspective, it's sort of, it's been a myriad of different things. In the last 12 to 18 months, it's been stock. That has absolutely ruined us because the shipping time has increased enormously. So our inbound raw stock has gone up, doubled, outbound finished stock doubled. So we've seen a lot of cash and then a lot of cash has gone into e-com because we're now becoming a lot more involved in e-com and the e-com customer expects to have the product sitting in market ready for them. As you take back distribution, the amount of money you need to deliver that stock in market is greater than we'd anticipated combined with some of the challenges we've had from COVID. But again, you don't need to worry about cost as long as you're not betting the farm. You just take the priorities, see where the biggest wins are and put your cash into that. And when you run out of cash or when you're going to bet the farm, you stop. Don't get overexcited because you find yourself vulnerable and then the best business can go under. The product itself is crafted product, right? So how do you communicate that it's not just sitting on a pallet ready to ship? And are the expectations of different markets different? So you introduced today saying that we are making handcrafted bikes. We are, but actually those are handcrafted bikes for the retailer. All are sitting in stock because the current consumer wants to walk in and buy something. And so that doesn't mean there aren't 10 million variants, but depending on your needs, the shop will have a range of products. And depending on where the shop is in the world, they will spec products that meet the needs of their customers. What's the single most important piece of advice you can give to businesses looking to expand internationally? Get a move on. (laughs) Just get a flipping move on. You know, this procrastination, so easy. Oh, no, I just, I'll just not quite yet. No, no, I just a little bit more research. I just cover my bum with a couple more layers of paper. <laughs> just get on with it and you will have fun and you will find the world is rich and diverse and there's so much opportunity and your staff love it because they get to travel and then you employ more diverse staff because they help you trade internationally. It's just awesome. Did you get any pushback internally or from your board on expanding internationally, particularly in the tough pandemic months? I mean, we are fortunate that we are in London because it's a complete hodgepodge of the world, just sort of all, you know, lobbed into one city. So our staff are the people that push us to be more international because we've got staff from 52 countries. Wow. And they're saying, well, 
well, why aren't you selling in, in Pakistan or why aren't you selling in India? You know, because we're not really. We should be selling there. And I've got a friend and a cousin. He does this. He could help out. And they push us and they want us to do more because of their knowledge and experience of their territory. So funnily enough, being in London has affected the very essence of our business and the diversity of our staff and of London has actually made us a very internationally thinking company. Have you set up offices in other countries of scale? Yes, yes. So we have, I mean, our key strategic markets are US, Germany, China. We've got about 35 people in China. We've got about 25, 30 in US, a bit less in Germany. I mean, the China team are probably going to be double that in about two years, going quite quickly in US as well. I mean, they're all growing, but we had to make a decision when 50 territories you just don't have the bandwidth to put focus into all of them. So you have to choose your priorities. And we chose US, Germany, China. Why did you choose those ones? Because to a small business owner, it can seem really daunting to set up an office or to set up a team in another country. Like, what was your thought process behind that? So everything is, it's an iteration. You're looking at where we are after 20 years, and that's a big jump, and it's been a long journey. So in the case of China, which is all a bit scary, we actually started with two guys in Hong Kong. Mm. Much easier it was easy to get out there and they got going and then of course they discovered when we started in Hong Kong that most of their bikes were going to China Mm. so people were coming in from China into Hong Kong buying the bikes taking them back we had clubs in Guangzhou and in Beijing what do you mean clubs? we have Brompton clubs all over the world no way you're not a a member? like full communities what we have races we have t-shirts we have logos that's so cool oh we have it's rocking yeah yeah And so we started small and then it got a little bit bigger. And then in America, we had a guy who was our rep. He was our sales rep. And he basically ran an office out of his home and he held the stock in his garage. I mean, proper hairy arsed stuff. That's where you've got to start. Don't go all glamorous and start again. Get the fancy office. No, no, no. That comes after 10 or 15 years. Warren Buffett was the great sage of Omaha and he said, compound growth is a beautiful thing. We've grown about 20% a year for 20 years. That'll do. And that's by taking little steps and keeping agile, trying stuff, making mistakes, bing, 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 but lots of little things and finding your way rather than trying to become a unicorn, a billionaire overnight. Okay, thinking about the last 12 months, where have you saved more money than you anticipated and where have you spent more money than anticipated? Saving money has just not been on the agenda. It's been nearly impossible to save money. The thing that absolutely did us in was the whole supply chain chain. logistics disaster area. I mean, just to put it into context, three years ago, admittedly our business was smaller, but still three years ago, we spent about 50 grand flying stuff in. Only when the line was at risk and the whole factory is going to stop and... There's been some crisis and we have to really under duress fly something in. Last year, it was over a million pounds. No, that is... Because if we hadn't done that, the entire factory would have stopped and we'd have had... In London, we have about 650 people and we wouldn't have been able to supply bikes to our customers. I mean, and that's just margin. Gone. That hurt, apart from the fact that we're trying to be green, we've got a climate emergency and we're burning carbon, Mm. flying stuff in. So we had this real turmoil and it hasn't been easy. That's coming away now. And of course, we've now got gas prices and electricity prices. I mean, you know, we're just in a world of difficulty, but that's life. That's business. That's our role. And we have to, you know, bit of dodging, moving around and we'll get there. 
So you're a really experienced CEO for a young founder like myself who for whom this like era of the world is very new. What advice do you give about navigating those challenges? Because that sounds terrifying, frankly. So one expects wherever you are, you have a team. You've got people around you. You need to just let everyone know. Work with your team and don't think that they won't be able to understand. Rubbish. We're all smart. And if everybody understands it, you're honest and they trust your honesty. Say, listen, guys, nothing to panic about, but there are some real challenges. We need to be smart. We need to work together. We need to think about how we can do this. And if we work together... We'll be fine. We're not going to be coining it. This is not going to be the years where you make lots of money, but you just need to keep a level head, be smart, be agile, and we'll get through it. And that's what we're at at the minute. Protect the customer because they're numero uno, and the rest of us have to be smart and we'll get through it. Well, this has been incredible. And my learnings from today are firstly, just get on with it, which I fully advocate for. Like when people are procrastinating, I'm like, what could you have done in one minute, one hour, one day, one week? So I absolutely love that. Then I love how you are open and communicative with everybody. I always respected that reading and learning about you as a CEO. There's a massive amount of integrity there. So definitely communication and building lasting relationships. And finally, don't bet the farm or the house or however we say it, which is effectively to invest incrementally, to effectively test the waters, go and explore, go and check out what's there before deciding which market to invest in and where to put your money. Thank you so much, Will. Absolutely my pleasure. Make sure you check out the Business Clash Trends and Insights Hub for the latest articles and videos on everything related to small business finances at americanexpress.com forward slash UK forward slash business class. And don't forget to subscribe to the Business Class Money Minutes, which you'll find wherever you get your podcasts. You'll never miss an episode. Until next time, from me, Sharmadine Reed, and the entire Business Class Money Minutes team, goodbye and take care. Managing cross-border payments doesn't have to be a headache. Whether you're sending or receiving payments to or from your overseas suppliers and customers, American Express offers a suite of international payment solutions to help you get this done in a timely and secure manner. Your business can also earn membership rewards points for incoming and outgoing international payments to redeem for a wide range of entertainment and vouchers. Visit americanexpress.com uk slash international payments to find out more. Terms apply.